You may have noticed season six, episode 13 of Drinking and Screaming is no longer on our podcast feed. This was intentional, as we just discovered that the actor Annie Hardy, who was heavily featured in Dashcam, was actually anti-mask and anti-vaccine, playing a heightened version of herself in the film. We mistakenly thought she was portraying a character and we regret ever doing an episode on this film or promoting it in any way. And our podcast episode has been removed. We remain under the opinion that anyone who is anti-mask or anti-vax is on the wrong side of this pandemic. Uh, These people are actively harming others, uh, my love included, and we can't support them. So if anyone has any information about people like that in movies we cover, please let us know and we will delete it just like Dashcam. I'm really sad. (laughs) We loved those creators, but or I should say we loved. Loved. Welcome listeners to season six, episode 16 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char and my pronouns are she, they. I'm Kelly and my pronouns are they, them. And this week we're continuing our Halloween movie nights by watching Color Out of Space from 2019. But first we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be a splash of color that will make you go mad. This episode will contain discussion on domestic and sexual abuse, cancer, harm to animals, and harmful parents. If any of these things are something you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode, and we'll see you next time. So I called this drink Lemonade Out of Space, and I can tell you right now that it's a char drink. I was looking at you while you were making it, and I got very excited. (laughs) And also, this is one of the fancier drinks we've ever had on the show. It was an event to watch it be made. That's all thanks to friend of the podcast, Sarah, who was on for our Annihilation episode. Um, I want to say like two years ago or maybe a year. uh, She gave me some butterfly pea flower, like dried tea stuff, um, saying that it would be great for the podcast. Because for those of you who don't know, it's like a, a thing that when you brew it, it's blue. But when you add citrus to it, it turns like purple or pink. And I mean... Literally, when she gave it to me, I was like, we have to do color out of space on at some point on the podcast is <laughs> got to happen. And I felt bad because I wasn't using it and I wasn't doing anything with it. And I'd been asked, like, hey, have you used it yet? And I'm like, not yet. So finally, <laughs> Sarah, if you're listening, the wait has been uh, worth it because uh, this was great. So th- thank you. Uh, also, I didn't know this, but the flower's name makes me smile because it's called uh, Clitoria Ternity <laughs> or Ternatea. I'm not too sure. As if you look at it, kind of looks like a little clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the base of this drink is some lemon juice, some lime juice and some peach schnapps. Uh, I said it was a char drink and you can tell right there. And, num, num, num. and uh, it's an ounce for each one which means that you can scale this up as much as you want. Um, (laughs) The drop is about an ounce of white rum. Just make it equal parts to the other parts. Um, And then about half that, uh, so 0.5 ounces of the butterfly pea flower syrup, uh, which is you just brew it and put some sugar in there, kind of like you're making simple syrup, but um, steep it with the the butterfly pea flower. Mm -hmm. Um, And that'll be blue in the shot glass. And then put all the rest of the stuff over ice and then pour it 
and it'll turn pink. I recorded a little thing that I'm going to try to get up on the social media of the uh, <laughs> event because I imagine this might be a little bit tricky to get. But it's um, really cool, though. I'm so glad that Sarah gave us this and it tastes nice. This is a very, very good drink. It's very tart, but the actual flavor of the butterfly pea flower syrup comes through. It's very like earthy, fragrant. Uh, it tastes floral, I would say, mm. in a nice way. Nice. And it's just really pretty. If I I would totally order this and like, you know, Instagram it <laughs> if I was at a bar pre panini. Yeah, it's kind of ombre because the lime and the lemon was thicker at the bottom. So the mixture didn't get all the way down there. So it's like yellow on the bottom and then transitions into the pink. Because um, it's infecting, just oh, like in the movie. Just like the color out of space. Wow. Um, yeah, it's really refreshing. The tartness is like, you can add more sugar if you want. Uh, there's no rules, just yeah. color out of space. thank you so much to our patrons for supporting the show we are so grateful for that and i hope that you can find your own butterfly pea flower syrup to enjoy this lovely beverage thanks to nora d nicholas g jacob m diana s ollie a aiden t jackie v roxanne b les represent podcast colleen d and aubrey l thank you all so so much for supporting us this episode, we watched Color Out of Space, which premiered on September 7th, 2019 at the Toronto International Film Festival. It's written by Richard Stanley and Scarlett Amaris and directed by Richard Stanley, who I want to point out is an abuser. Uh, his partner in love and life and art is Scarlett Amaris. And she came out with many allegations and other women came forward and it is just not good. So I wanted Ugh. to call that out right now. Worse. But you did say that a lot of people have been uh, canceling, like not working with him now, which yeah. uh, is good. Burying the lead. <sighs> this film guy. did not make a lot of money. And I feel like that was why it, Maybe it came out around the same time. Um, the news, I mean, of it all. But yeah. yeah. Well, and fittingly, guy. based on the story by H.P. Lovecraft, who is also an asshole for other reasons. He's racist, among other things. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring that up in my point. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> this film stars Nicolas Cage as newfound farmer and family man Nathan. Jolie Richardson as cancer survivor and stock exchange working mom Teresa. Madeline Arthur as their witchy daughter, Lavinia Gardner, and Elliot Knight as the concerned hydrologist, Ward Phillips. This synopsis was written by someone on IMDb, pulled it directly from there, but it was uncredited. In the wake of his wife, Teresa's mastectomy, Nathan Gardner moves his family, including children, Lavinia, Benny and Jack, to his late father's farm. One night, a brilliantly glowing meteor crash lands in their front yard, briefly traumatizing Jack. The next morning, hydrologist Ward Phillips, who is surveying the area for a dam development, along with the mayor and the sheriff of the nearby town of Arkham, arrive to see the meteor. That night, Nathan and Lavinia witness the meteor being struck by several bolts of lightning. Ward notices that the groundwater has taken on an oily sheen and tests it. 
When his test strips begin to glow brightly with the color, he advises the gardeners not to drink it. While notifying nearby resident Ezra of the contamination, he is shown a recording of sounds of unknown origin sounding beneath Ezra's house at night. Meanwhile, Jack becomes fixated on the property's well, observing a strange plant growth and insects, as well as claiming to communicate with a friend inside the well. A news crew arrives to interview Nathan about the meteor, but finds that it has vanished. Later, while Teresa is preparing dinner, she absentmindedly cuts off two of her fingers. As Nathan rushes her to the hospital, he leaves Benny in charge. On Nathan's request, Benny goes outside to put the farm's alpacas back in their stables, but does not return until late at night claiming time had passed instantaneously for him. Meanwhile, Lavinia attempts to multiple times to contact Nathan, but they are unable to hear each other through the phone. Upon the parents' return, Nathan lashes out at Benny and Lavinia with uncharacteristic rage. Later, Nathan becomes frustrated after finding that his most recent harvest of fruits has proven inedible. And Teresa snaps after losing a work client due to the faltering internet connection, bringing the two to a fight. The same night, Lavinia tries to perform a Wiccan ceremony to try and save her family, mutilating herself in the process. Teresa suddenly hears Jack and Benny screaming after encountering the alpaca stables and rushes to their aid. But in the process, a bolt of color fuses Teresa and Jack together into a deranged mass. Unable to start the car, start the car (laughs) or call for help as all electronic devices have stopped functioning. And upon discovering sunlight harms Teresa and Jack, Nathan and the children carry them into the attic. Benny reveals that he had witnessed the alpacas after a horrible mutation due to the color. Nathan decides to euthanize the alpacas with a shotgun after finding they have similarly fused together. Beginning to lose his sanity, Nathan also attempts to euthanize Teresa and Jack, but is unable to bring himself to. Lavinia and Benny conspire to leave the farm using Lavinia's horse, but it runs from the property. Before returning inside, Benny insists he hears the family's dog inside the well. But upon climbing in, he is assimilated by the color. Nathan displays more uncharacteristic rage and locks Lavinia in the attic with Teresa and Jack, who have turned to aggression. Ward and the sheriff are brought to the farm after a nearby resident discovers a fused mass of animals and arrive just in time to break into the attic. Nathan shoots and kills the monster saving Lavinia. After rushing outside, Nathan attempts to shoot the color, emerging from the well. But the sheriff mistakes Nathan's aim for Ward and fatally shoots him. Ward and the sheriff leave to evacuate Ezra, and Lavinia insists on staying with Nathan. At Ezra's house, the pair only find his desiccated corpse and a recording he left behind, where he surmises that the color is attempting to remake Earth into something it knows. Heading back towards the farmhouse, a mutated living tree kills the sheriff. Ward returns to rescue Lavinia, but finds her possessed by the color, which explodes out of the well and forms a funnel into the sky. Ward is shown a vision of where the color hails from, an exoplanet inhabited by tentacled alien entities before Lavinia disintegrates. As space and time begin to unravel, Ward enters the farmhouse and is pursued by a murderous apparition of Nathan. He hides in the wine cellar as the color's distortion of reality drives the property to destruction leaving Ward the only survivor as he climbs out of the farmhouse's colorless debris. In an epilogue, a traumatized Ward stands on top of the finished dam, which covers the former property, and narrates that having witnessed the color's takeover, he will never drink the dam's water. That was like the best synopsis we've gotten so far. It was succinct enough, but still had all the details that you needed to know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Hit me with that trailer audio. 
Then everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. It's in the static, it's in the moisture. It's in here, it's out there. What's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That ding from the meteorite changes everything around it. Believe me now? I don't know what I believe anymore. Ah! Everything's gonna be a okay. That's a that good ending. Was sinister. <laughs> the color. The Normally, color. I would say that that's one of those trailers that shows too much, but I feel like they didn't show anything cohesive enough for you to really understand what the hell is going on um which, which is, is kind, kind of like, like watching movie. yeah <laughs> took the words right out of your mouth also the the music in that trailer was good mm-hmm. uh, which reminded me that the music in the movie is very good but that mo- music in the trailer wasn't the trailer or wasn't the music from the movie it was just, just like other music hmm. um it's but yeah it's very like strange and alien music that makes you feel uncomfortable and it featured the color yeah wait the music featured the color i mean i felt it when i was listening you you could hear the color (laughs) i just mean that the color was heavily featured in that Mm. uh trailer yeah it's the color out of that trailer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which while watching this film really bothered me because it's like it's a color, but it's not really a color I've ever seen. And I'm like, that's magenta. Let me tell you, that's magenta. But Guys don't know what magenta is. <laughs> I also have a security fact that I will hold on to until the end. Mm. So that uh, about that. So that's yeah. really cool. But what are your thoughts? Tell me, my love. Um, I mean, that's actually a pretty good segue talking about like unviewable things. Um, So this kind of movie is very much my jam. I love the idea of something coming out of the void or being introduced into your environment. That's so confusing to look at that your brain would rather destroy itself than actually process what's going on. Um, Unfortunately, that idea is in a lot of Lovecraftian stuff and not really present in other things. And. And as much as the idea is cool from an, a celestial galactic standpoint, um, it's also kind of rooted in his racism. The idea of looking on someone that doesn't look like him, driving him wild and his brain not processing the different color of skin on different people. Wow. Yeah. Lovecraft was an asshole. And the fact that he ruined yeah. this concept annoys me to no end because like, you know, the um, there's a shrimp. I can't remember what it is. It's like a butterfly, not butterfly shrimp. It's some f- form of shrimp that can actually see colors that humans can't. Ooh, um, that's cool. And the idea that there are things that brains of other things can process that we ourselves cannot process is a very cool thing. And I can see the, the the idea of a horror movie being like, I saw this color that shrimp can see and my brain didn't <laughs> want to process it. So instead, it just blew up into goop. It makes me think of that concept of like, is my blue the same as your yeah, blue? Exactly. What are we seeing? 
we've grown up with the, the feelings of colors and like being taught what they mean and symbolism. But mm-hmm. is it the same? Yeah. Which is, I mean, as a child, that made me have existential crises. <laughs> um, and it's also like it's it's not so far fetched of an idea that it's like unapproachable because it is very much like how brains deal with trauma. Um, like your brain can have something happen to it that it's just like, you know what? No, we're going to protect you. We're going to, this is now something else inside your brain. And, uh, you know what? It's fine. We're, that's how we're going to deal with it. And then everyone around you is like, no, that's not how it happened. Your brain's like, no, it is. That's how it happened. Um, you know it. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, it's like, I don't know. It's just a very cool genre of horror. And, I would like to see more of it from people that understand where it can be rooted from Mm, and mm -hmm. not the racist kind. Um, Yeah, because like you think about that scene that we saw in the trailer where he's like, it's pink. No, wait, it's something I haven't seen before. It's almost like his brain gave him enough memory of what it was to be close to something he can recognize. Yeah. And then we give you that familiarity. Yeah. Exactly. And then it's like uncanny. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, it wasn't pink. It was, hmm, I don't have the word for it. Magenta. Magenta, yeah. <laughs> so it sucks that this movie is marred by so many terrible men. Um, and I hope that it doesn't dissuade people from following this thread in other movies. Yeah, I would say it's just good to know, especially if you see like other films that are H.P. Lovecraftian adaptations, just know the history of who that is and what they've done. Yeah. And have that lens as you're watching the media or reading the media or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, historically very bad. If you would like just proof of like a, a quick little snapshot of how bad he is, just Google what he named his cat um, and you'll be good to go. Are you doing that right now? Yes. Are you doing it? Right now. Oh, it's the first thing that pops up when you type HP Lovecraft. Yes, because it's very bad. Oh, yeah. We don't have to include that in the episode. But no, oh. I'm not saying it. Just, yeah. Anyways, um, there. I actually looked at the Wikipedia of Color Out of Space, the novel, because this is based on a novel. And there's a few adaptations that um, people have said come close. And I kind of want to go watch them now uh, and see if they're just as good. And I've got this yeah. list here. So there's The Curse from 1987 that is apparently said to be very similar to the original story, but kind of like loses it in the last half hour, um, which is interesting. Uh, there's Color from the Dark from 2008, which Bloody Disgusting praised the film's stating that it managed to do the famous writer's twisted tale of unseen terror a really fair share of justice by capturing the bleak, grotesque, and utterly frightening atmosphere of the source material very well, which makes me want to watch it. Also, I believe that one's set in Italy. Um, And there is Defarb, which is a perfectly pronounced way of saying the color in German, um, which was as early as 2010, and it's been called the best Lovecraftian film adaptation ever made. So maybe we got to check that one out yeah yeah Uh, this is like necronomicon early (laughs) yes but i have a better one for necronomicon so don't worry about it the reconomicon necronomicon was the book that the girl in this movie had yes (laughs) which i also have scaredy facts about Ooh. my second point is that 
I really like the character of Ward for what I think is probably a strange reason. Hmm. Um, so he's the Tell narrator and he sort of introduces the whole story uh, by saying that he was told not to go to this farm because it was super evil um, and wasn't really told what or anything, but he had a job to do. He had to check the water and make sure that it was fine. Um, from there, he just kind of becomes an observer to the horror. Like he does try to help a lot. Like he he researches what's up with the water. He finds out that it's plagued. He like goes back for them yeah, multiple it, times. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I say that he's an observer because no matter what he does or tries to help with, nobody takes his advice and nothing changes. Mm. If you removed Ward from this movie, the the events of the movie would play out identical. Um which normally would be a bad thing, I think. But in this genre, I think the idea of almost having a viewer like us helps ground us. Because if we were just in the gardener's area as shit was happening and it got more chaotic and the mutant flowers grew and he was eating tomatoes and Nicolas Cage was being <laughs> Nicolas Cage, I think that there would have been a lot of lost uh, people watching this. But having Ward there to sort of be the grounded, grounded. character, just yeah. looking at the horror like we were, um, really, I think, sets a good... I mean, he's the narrator. It makes sense. He's he's supposed to be the person accounting the story afterwards and should be cognizant enough at the end of it to do so. But you can see it in his eyes at the end of the movie when he's smoking that cigarette over the the water dam. The dam. Uh, he's It's still there. He's still... He's, Something happened to him. Trauma, man. Yeah. It stays with you. And uh, I just, I love that character for that reason. I love that. It's so true. Tinks. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the support of Mad Lab Distillery. We are so happy that they have supported our season. And as we come to a close, we hope that we will see them again next year. Yeah, it'll be a year from now. Support the show and Mad Lab Distillery by trying some of their handcrafted products. You can get their awesome stuff at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com. Evil Amy's Terror Shop has been sponsoring our show, of course. You can get all kinds of cool things, including pop figures, purses, um, full-size Chucky dolls, <laughs> and more at evilamysterrorshop.com. They ship globally, and you can also use the code EVIL 10 for 10% off your purchase. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. And you can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinking and screaming.com. Before we go back to the episode, I have to tell you this beverage. So good. Thank you so much. That's good because it's been seven weeks since you started drinking it. Let's go. I don't know. That's bad. Let's look at the color and go back to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Self-judgment. Love it. Yeah. My first point, actually, in a weird way, is a slight counterpoint to you because it's based entirely off of a line that is said that wouldn't happen if Ward wasn't in the film. And it's Teresa, the mom, says to Lavinia, think of the impression you're giving off about her outfit uh, when she's talking with Lavinia about Ward outside and how she might be interested in him. Mm. And 
to be clear, Lavinia's outfit is fucking banging. It's <laughs> long sleeve shirt, uh, jean shorts. She's got fishnet tights on underneath and wearing uh, boots, I think, at this point. And her hair is super cool. She's got like purple streaks dyed into this curly long hair. She looks awesome. Uh, but I really wanted to call out this moment because it's so hurtful when people say things like that, especially when it's your parents. Yeah, I'm so lucky. My mom is amazing and she never like shat on what I decided to wear. Um other people would be like, oh, that dress is so short, Char. My mom would be like, let her wear what she wants to wear. OK, <laughs> good. Which was great. Yeah, that's like something I'm always like, go, mom, go women. <laughs> um, but that comment, that offhanded comment is so rooted in sexism and misogyny. What is she basically implying that like she's more likely to be wanting to have sex with people or like. It's kind of the thread of, oh, your clothes are why you got assaulted. Like your skirt was too short or whatever. You're being too promiscuous when in reality, that's based on the perpetrator, not the person who had harm done to them. Yeah, exactly. And you see Lavinia is so affected by this comment. She's in her room. She's got such a rough exterior of being so hardened, but she's really not. And she also really cares about her mom. She starts the film off by doing a ritual in the by the lake to heal her mom from her cancer. Um, And this comment is just so degrading and sad. Mm -hmm. And it's something that a lot of young girls have to deal with, I think. Every, we're so judged by everybody and by the media and it's just ah, so much. It was a very real moment of the film. <laughs> real horror right there. Yeah. Before <laughs> any of the horrors started, there was real horror. Yeah. I don't even. Yeah, that was before a meteorite crash. That was just her mom being an asshole. And I will say, like, the mom does apologize for it after and, like, tries to make amends. But it's too late. You can't unsay what you just said. Yeah. I mean, it and was- that comment's going to, like, live with her forever. It was definitely like it's one of those targeted like your your family and your parents know exactly what to say to absolutely fuck you up. Um, and her motivation in that moment was to get Lavinia away from Ward. So she chose the exact wording to be like, haha, I will send my daughter to her room and devastate her while this while I wait for Ward to leave. And like, why? I don't know because he's she's smart. Afraid. He's doing a nice he's a scientist he's good looking. <laughs> yeah. He's got a nice job. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And then my next point is about a specific moment of the actual horror here of like world bending, shifting Lovecraftian awfulness in a good way of the mom merging with her young son which really got to me. This is the second time that we've seen this movie. The first time was during our mini hiatus and it really impacted me. It's so creepy. If you don't like body horror descriptions or like creature specific descriptions, skip ahead (laughs) a minute or two. But uh, she's almost spider like her limbs like extend her neck elongates and like hangs down and her whole face becomes so monstrous. And the fact that she literally absorbed her son to become this new being is so skin crawly. It's very thing like. Exactly. Which they do mention. uh, I didn't include it in the scary facts, but there are multiple sort of like inspired by moments of the film being like the thing. That's good. Specifically like 
it's exactly her and Eddie, her son, like merging faces. Yeah. It's also so sad that part because like all he can do is like scream because he's like stuck to her back, basically. So yeah. they're trying to figure out what to do while her like son is just screaming the entire scene. It's interesting to me that they still had hope in that moment. Oh, yeah. Like they were thinking, oh, we'll take them to the hospital. I guess it's one of those things where you're faced with such horror that you're like, you can only try and think of solutions and mm-hmm. not accept the fate that has become what happened to your family. Because looking at it, I was like, oh, just shoot me, Kelly, if that happens. Like, what What else is there to do? Like, it's <laughs> what if at the end of the process, you turn super cool and stable <laughs> and you're fine? Um, I don't know if she could live with the horror that she absorbed her like eight year old. What if you zapped them with the opposite color out of space? You found (laughs) you found the the space color wheel and on the opposite end of the space color spectrum, you found that and shot them with that. Maybe they would separate. (laughs) I don't know. They were in so much pain. It was obvious pain. Uh, They couldn't even speak. It was so much pain that I think uh, it's too much. Even if it was like a day later, I'd be okay. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because they use that. um, The same thing happens to the alpacas uh, Mm -hmm. and they sort of use that as uh, what's his name? What's the dad's name again? Nathan. They sort of use that as Nathan facing the reality of what's happened to his wife. Mm. because He has to go Mm -hmm. into the barn and put down the meat pile of alpaca um, knowing that that's the same thing that happened to his wife and is going to probably yeah. have to do the same thing. Oof. But that's it for my my two favorite or things I wanted to talk about. Oh no, this room is filling with a pink, I don't know, purple. It's hard to tell. If only I had a word that perfectly described this color. <laughs> I shouldn't have kept my hand on this book while the colors zapped me. And now uh, this book is merging into my hand. It's okay, though. I'm thinking I'm going to open it. What do you think? Do it. All right. It's time to open the record. Get it out of my hand. My hand book. <laughs> it's like a color I've never seen. <laughs> magenta. <laughs> my hand has turned magenta. <laughs> Uh, my recommendation is Willy's Wonderland from 2021. Uh, Nick Cage has to clean up basically a Chuck E. Cheese while fighting off haunted animatronics. It's very Five Nights at Freddy's and doesn't pretend to be anything else. That's Willy's Wonderland from 2021. It gives you exactly what you want if you know what you're in for. <laughs> my recommendation is actually something more that I want to watch. I haven't seen it yet, but it's Mandy from 2018, which also stars Nicolas Cage and features a similar color palette and sense of dread in this film. So to pitch you, Kelly, outsiders Red and Mandy lead a loving and peaceful existence in 1983. When their pine-scented haven is savagely destroyed by a cult, Red is catapulted into a phantasmagoric journey filled with bloody vengeance and laced with deadly fire. That's Mandy from 2018. I have been wanting to see it. I just keep forgetting about it. (laughs) Yeah, it was like the reason we got Shudder back in the day and then we never actually pulled the trigger. Yeah. Scaredy facts. Our, that part almost sounds like the music. The burner. Ah! Scaredy facts. 
<laughs> no, that just sounded like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Anyways, this is uh, the part of the podcast where we finish watching the movie, snuggle up in bed, merge together and open up Wikipedia to read some <laughs> trivia facts <laughs> while we scream in horrible pain because our bodies are absorbing each other. So join us. It'll be so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starting off with the budget. I mentioned this earlier. So it was a six million budget. And opening weekend in the U.S. and Canada was January 26, 2020, which is around the beginning of COVID. So I was like, oh, I'll include this date because maybe that's why I didn't do so well, because the gross worldwide was one million twenty three thousand. But then I also learned about all this director shenaniganery and my shenaniganery, I mean, literal assault on multiple people. Yeah. So I hope that's why it did bad. <laughs> yes. Fuck that guy. And fuck his movie. I'm sad for all the people in the movie, though. Yeah. yeah. Why do... I mean, they got paid. They were part of that six million. <laughs> that's true. Why do bad men have to ruin things? Stop it. I ask this every day. Yeah. Some scaredy facts. More fun times. <laughs> the weather report playing on the television while Lavinia is washing dishes mentions Arkham along with Innsmouth Dunwich and Kingsport. All these settings are part of different H.P. Lovecraft stories. In addition, Lavinia questions Benny about a former girlfriend from Aylesbury. That's another location that also belongs to Lovecraft's universe. Nice. I think I actually own the Dunwich horror novel. Okay. But because of the ADHD, I never read it. Mm. Um, I also recognize all these names because I've played like some of the video games that are based on Lovecraft stuff. Yeah, Arkham really stuck, sticks out to yeah. me. As well as um, uh, Call of Cthulhu is set in that universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, the color. The color used in this film to represent the color is magenta, which doesn't exist as single wavelength of light as part of the spectrum of visible light, which is red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. So like the rainbow. Uh, rather, it is an extra spectral color that is only perceived by humans in a specific interaction of the optical rods in the eyes that detect red and blue in specific circumstances to create the magenta in the mind. Since red and blue are associated to evil and good, it means that the color is apart from evil and good to come from another universe where these concepts cannot be applied. Ooh. I thought that was very interesting because this really rubbed me the wrong way the first time we watched this movie. I couldn't get it out of my head. Obviously, they have to show the color somehow, but I'm like, it's literally I don't. This is a color. It's not unimaginable. Um, another fun fact is that magenta is often used as a placeholder color in video games because it's so jarring against everything else that it's really easy to notice if like a texture is missing or like someone forgot to color something. If you just see like, oh, this nice. I'm playing in uh, Skyrim and everything's gray and dark, but the trees are magenta. Something's probably yeah. wrong. <laughs> All right. That's really cool. OK, some Nicolas Cage acting here. The director's favorite movie of Nicolas Cage is Vampire's Kiss from 1988. So he asked Nicolas Cage to use the same style of performance. <laughs> I can 100 percent see that. Yeah, especially when he's sure. like do it when he's like uh, when he Raging. eats the tomatoes and he's just like yeah. dunking them and just starts like <laughs> having fun with it for some reason. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Yep, yep, yep. OK, at around 33 minutes, this is when Ward Phillips walks around his tent at night looking for a possible intruder and he's suddenly dazzled by car lights. Ward covers his face with the book that he's reading and you can see that the title The Willows 
and partially Ernan Blackwood as author on the bottom of the book cover. I included the scaredy fact because the moment that that happened, I was like, oh, this has to be a reference <laughs> to something. This book is so clear. So it re- it's refers the epon- eponymous novel. Wow, this is an interesting word. Uh, I think it means the same name. Uh, and an early horror story written by Algernon Blackwood and published on 1907 about two people getting lost in nature. It's considered one of the best known Algernon's works as example of early modern horror connected within the literary tradition of weird fiction and recognized as the main influence of a great number of later writers, including H.B. Lovecraft, who considered it the finest supernatural tale in English literature. Hmm. I wonder if there's an audiobook of it. There has to be. About an hour into the movie, Nathan complains to Benny and Lavinia about if they know the cost of the alpacas. So I was interested in this and I did some (laughs) digging. So when this movie came out in 2019, a breeding female alpaca in depending on its quality of specimen has a cost of between $5,000 and $30,000. And the males start at $10,000 and go up. So it's an incredible amount of money that they've invested because they've got what six yeah five they've got a lot that being said though she is a um stockbroker and if i know anything about stockbrokers it's that they have money so yes which thank you for bringing that up because i forgot in my whole feminism point i should have also mentioned the mom is basically the breadwinner here and we also learned so much about Teresa, other than just the mom which is lovely to have in a film yeah, like this. Exactly. Um, and all he's got to do as the as the house husband is to fix that damn Internet so that she can and keep making money. It. Yeah. I mean, he might have <laughs> 10, 15 days ago when he last realized when to do it. <laughs> That's another thing I didn't mention as well is that I love time fuckery in movies. Like there's scenes where they'll be inside and it's nighttime and they'll go to walk outside. And by the time they're outside, it's daytime. And they even bring up like, wasn't it just dark a while ago? And I love I love unexplained fuckery like that. Nice. Okay, I talked about this a bit when we did the Reconomicon. So Lavinia has a paperback copy of the Necronomicon in the film. The book Necronomicon itself was a fictional invention by H.P. Lovecraft being mentioned uh, the first time in the 1924 short story, The Hound. But in 1977, a pseudonymous author called Simon published a book by the same name. And this is the book used by Lavinia during her final ritual. Nice. I believe in Eternal Darkness, which I think is also a Lovecraft inspired game you read the necronomicon to play stories that happen to people in the past surrounding all of the like old gods and stuff which is pretty cool hmm. you know car facts whoa the car started i know i should have done like a <laughs> to be more in theme but i couldn't i gotta i gotta go with the staple yeah. continuation that's fine. I have one car fact for you, my dear. Nathan Gardner's car is a 1974 dark blue Volvo 145S wagon. Whoa. <laughs> Holy cow. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's all my scary facts I have for you. That's perfect. 
Uh, final thoughts? Oh, man. This film, I enjoyed it. It's definitely a different style of horror that I feel is actually my lesser known horror genre for myself. We don't watch a lot of like mind bendy type horror and I am interested in, in doing more. Nice. Uh, my final thought is that I love Nicolas Cage unironically Whoa. and <laughs> I am excited that we have gotten such a Nick Cage resurrection. Uh, this, uh, Mandy, Willie's Wonderland, um, was the new one, the, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, I'm looking, he's doing like five movies a year and <laughs> I am extremely happy about this. <laughs> I'm happy for you because I do know how much you love Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Best actor ever. <laughs> Okay, Matchstick Man is unironically my favorite movie of all time. That, yeah. That has to be known because people can make fun of me if they want. Well, that's been Color Out of Space, a movie about that one kid from Haunting of Hill House randomly showing up in other media. He's been everywhere. He's been everywhere, man. <laughs> Next week, we'll be finishing our Halloween movie nights <gasps> and our sixth season well, by watching... Halloween for the return of Michael Myers from 1988. And remember, <laughs> always scream responsibly. for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll, voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 